0: This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hello there. Dank, Ferrick. Welcome to another Star Wars podcast with your host, Sean, from Extra Techie. In this short-form podcast, we'll entertain you with a variety of Star Wars content that will keep you coming back for more. Buckle up, don't get cocky, and punch it as you listen to another Star Wars podcast. Episode four of 2021 everyone and welcome to another Star Wars podcast. I am your host Sean of Extra Techie and we are happy to have you as we travel through the galaxy. We're recording on March 24th 2021 and here's what's happening on today's episode. Today on ASW, we're going to dive deep into the first book of the High Republic series called Light of the Jedi, written by Charles Soule, an excellent introduction to a new era in Star Wars storytelling. The High Republic goes back in time to tell the story of the height of the Republic, the expansion into the Outer Rim, and the introduction of a nasty villain. Jedi are plenty, alongside a plethora of characters in Light of the Jedi in this three-part series. ASW will break down each part of the book by giving you a brief overview of the chapter, some cool tidbits that I found out, and some follow-up discussion about each chapter. In this episode, we review part two of the book, Chapters 19 through 35 of Light of the Jedi. And remember, we are all the Republic. (laughs) Good job. Welcome back everyone to part 2 of my breakdown of The Light of the Jedi a three-part series where I'll do the reading for you because time is precious. To recap, the High Republic is a new era in Star Wars lore it follows a group of characters that existed 200 years before the stories we know. Following this band of heroes and villains has its challenges as this particular story was a huge pro- uh, has a huge problem of introducing us to that new era of Star Wars storytelling. Is print media the best way to tell that story to the masses? No, but in the long term, this should benefit fans of the series, both old and new. So this three-part episodic series is dedicated to bringing you the storylines, drama, and details you need to know to get you through the High Republic. If you missed part one, take a listen at the last episode. We'll be continuing the journey now with the briefest of recaps we are all the republic hey have you heard of the red five network go to red5network.com we're just a bunch of idiots doing podcasts about star wars and other things uh shout out to scarif scuttlebutt uh, for putting it all together and all the rest of the podcast it's so big right now that it's just abnormally sized uh we're working on a discord server so if you're interested in discord Hit me up. We'll get you in there. You can become a friend of Red 5. And hey, if you haven't done so just yet, make sure you subscribe to me on YouTube at youtube.com backslash extra techie. Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram extra techie. We try to go live every Thursday doing dumb things like playing Mario Kart and making people uh, disrupt my racing. Uh, we should be starting some new games soon, like uh, maybe a little Minecrafty stuff and some Fallout 4. So that's coming down the pipeline. Uh, ASW presents part two of its three-part Light of the Jedi experience where we recap each chapter, provided details and insights into the story to keep all the storylines together to provide you a better understanding of the source material. In part one, The Great Disaster Occurs, which sets a series of events that leads to heroes rising, people dying, and the overall conflict of the story. Part one ends with our introduction to the Nile, a sinister group once again, to catch all of part one's details, go back one episode, but let's begin. Part two, The Paths. Chapter 19, place Coruscant at Monument Plaza. Here are the characters. Chancellor Lena So, uh, Jedi Jorah Mali, Norel quo That's the primary aid. Blue ca- blue-clad Republic guards, uh, Jedi Quermian Yariel Poof, uh, Skier and Avar Chris is at Noor of Serrano where Duku was. Uh, Je- Jeffo Laura Leah, Transportation Secretary, Admiral Pevel Cronara Republic Defense Coalition. And w- there's just a bunch of characters. This is like a little uh, powwow because they're trying to figure out how to prevent another one of these disasters. Here's the briefest of summaries. So is Chancellor, and she's trying to unite the Outer Rim to the core worlds with Starlight Beacon. After lengthy discussion and shutting down hyperlanes, she assigns the team three questions to solve with a 30-day deadline. What will our teams do? Here are the details. Umate, or Umate, one spot left on the planet Coruscant where its original topography could be seen. We Are All The Republic is mentioned. I will mention it every single time it is mentioned in a chapter. The idea that there could be a problem with hyperspace. The barely, uh, the barely understood system that allowed the Republic to exist. Limiting hyperspace lanes is like closing down transportation in real life. And I get COVID vibes from this. Was it on purpose? Maybe. I don't know. Starlight Beacon and uh, will be a representation of the Republic versus the limited interactions. Like collecting taxes. So they want to put out Starlight Beacon to... Bring upon a positive image of the Republic instead of them just kind of going around the outer room going, hey, you owe us taxes because we keep you safe, even though we're like light years away. Starlight Beacon was built to serve many purposes, part of the great works, and so is cracking the code on Bacta Cultivation. So I like that connection to our uh, original trilogy. Is hyperspace safe, or is this the beginning of something much worse? There was nothing so big it could not be swallowed up, not a mountain, and not the Republic. So the republic is kind of in flux right now as you know the legacy run blows up in hyperspace you got debris hitting planets millions of people are dead because of this disaster and now transportation lanes are closed down which is going to severely limit the food and medical aid to the planets that need it so lots of drama and uh we've got teams trying to figure out what's going on chapter 20 Place back at the Hetzel system, the originator of our disaster. On the ship, the Third Horizon, we have Elzar Man, Jedi Elzar Man, Master Jedi Avar Chris, uh, Tech Wiz Kevin Tarr, and Senator Noor, uh, who represents the Outer Rim. Here's the summary Avar leads the team. Elzar is a cool force user. Goal is to piece the legacy run back together to find out what's missing. More than two-thirds of the ship is still missing. There are more potential emergences. Uh, Kevin uh, Tar, who is a tech genius, requires droids, many, many, many droids, to predict navigational lanes. So he wants to put together a droid network to uh, computate and predict what's going down. Uh, Senator Noor recommends that the Jedi talk to the Santecas, as in uh, the Force Awakens Santecas, and our investigation begins. Here are some cool details of the chapter. The wreckage had been collected of the Legacy Run. If you could use the fo- So this is Elvar Man. Uh, a piece was like out of place, and he was like, I'm going to move it back. If you could use the force, then you should use the force. So, like, Elvar's just like, listen, I got the force. I'm going to use it. This is just what it is. The force never began or ended, and it was impossible to use it up. Uh, Avar noticed what Elzar had specifically done during the rescue scene. So, I don't know if I caught that in part one, but that just might be a little connection that they have. Uh, Elzar shushed the senator. He literally, the senator, is, like, getting all hyper about it, and Elzar was like, shh. We got this, and I actually laughed at that part in the book because I thought it was disrespectful, and I liked it. Uh, they do mention a dedicated flight recorder system, which is cool. If we can get the flight recorder system, we might figure out what happened to the Legacy Run. Uh, there's a mention of creating a super Navigoid network in the numbers of twenty to thirty thousand droid CPUs to predict the next emergencies. Yikes! Chapter 21, No Space. The place is called No Space. New characters. We got Pan Ata, Lorna D, Kasav, and Martian Rowe. This is a focus now on the Nile. Here is a summary. You have the rule of three. You have strike ships, you have cloud ships, you have storm ships. There's a general discussion. Pate asks for who messed up during the last mission, and someone pays the price. They throw him out into space, and that guy dies. And then they celebrate by doing drugs and drinking. Uh, Martian has an ability called The Paths that help him see hyperlanes that you can't see. It's very interesting. The Nile use these paths to slip in and out of places. Everyone seems tense in the Nile, though. Lorna gets a kidnapping plan approved to get them some money. And at the end of the day, Martian seems low-key but menacing. Something's cooking up there. Here are some details. All the ships uh, to in order to use the paths have these glowing green half spheres uh, that they call the path engines. The Nile were straight chaos. And again, these details, I pull actual lines from the book. So if they seem a little fragmented, it's because they are. Uh, they remove the weak. For many of the galaxy's species, the features of Martian's people meant predator on some deep instinctive level. So the way he looks is scary. The Nile system is a basic Ponzi scheme with rank-ups. I wrote that in. You know, you have a triangle, and then you have people recruiting other people, and you try to rank up, more or less. And it's very cutthroat. The Nile allowed crows to use hyperspace in ways denied to every other ship in the galaxy. Okay? Uh, hurt their crews. Denial allowed their crews to use hyperspace. Like, you can just go wherever you want as long as I give you the correct navigational calculations. Uh, let's see. Uh, they can do micro jumps, leaps to locations inside gravity wells, entering hyperspace from almost anywhere as opposed to having to run elaborate calculations or travel to non occluded access zones. They could be anywhere at any time and no defenses could stop them. You know, the Niles got an advantage and they need to be stopped. Chapter 22. Place: Outer Rim, the Elfrona Outpost. Lots of characters. Here we go. You've got Loden, you've got Bell, Otto, Erica, B, Ron, Indira Stokes, Porter Angle, Ember, a dog. Ton of characters. Here's the summary. Outposts on Kashyyyk. uh The Jedi had outposts on Kashyyyk and Mancala. uh Let me just make sure I have that. Yes. Uh, Bell has continued to train in the Padawan ways. There's lots of description here. The storm approaches often to a city on Elfrona. Bell falls and fails. Again, Indira catches him uh they have jedi holsters for their lightsabers which are cool there's a family uh they're called the blights and knowing who the nile are they take shelter in a panic room And right? the nile are after them they are able to fight back remotely with droids it's actually very clever what they do uh killing some of the nile but they don't get them all uh meanwhile the jedi eat around the table and discuss things it's kind of cool conversation uh, there's cool dialogue talking about the potentials of more beacons around in the Outer Rim, and then a distress call comes in. The Blythes are in trouble. Here are some details. Getting out posted was a common part of the Padawan training regime. I think that's cool. Anything there's a Jedi and training and how they do it, I'm all in for that. At the entrance of the outpost, the Jedi wore hooded robes of a style that felt like a nod to an earlier era. That's cool. Elfrona was a planet-sized treasure vault. What could be there? Loden would probably get out of it by arguing that the Order had no use for a Padawan who couldn't master something as simple as a controlled descent. So Jedi are trained in the ways to fall softly without getting hurt. If Mace Windu doesn't come back, I'm pissed. Uh, About the distress call, he said they're too far away to get here in time. The man said he was sorry, but he just sounded like he was afraid. The Nile are bad people. I've tried calling back, but they won't answer. Porter was a legend. He'd been in the Jedi Order for over 300 years. He had explored full careers in most of the primary Jedi roles in his time, such as teacher, explorer, diplomat, and warrior and he was known the Blade of Bardota. My goodness, don't get this guy mad. Chapter 23, Midrim on the planet Naboo. You've got Evar and Elzar talking to Marlo and Velis Santeca. Not that many characters, so you can see the story is starting to kind of split up. Uh, and get a little bit more continuous. Evar and Elzar continue to investigate the emergence. We get a brief history of the Santecas. Evar and Elzar talk to the Santecas about hyperspace. They exchange info and separate. Uh, but there's a little epilogue to this chapter because we go back to the Tekas and they are hiding a secret. Oh, what could that secret be? Here are some details. Maybe figure out how to catch fish with the force. Again Elvar always kind of thinking about what he could do with the force. Uh Avar let herself consider the idea of spending that time with Elzar, something she would never tell him he would never let her hear the end of it. Ooh, will Avar and Elzar have a relationship? I guess we'll, we'll see. Another emergence, another tragedy had happened in the ring light system and several thousand people had died. So emergences are still coming out of hyperspace and they're still hitting things and they're still killing people. So time is precious. The Santeca family made its fortune a century or so ago as hyperspace prospectors, uh, rough edging, uh, rough edged people finding routes through the wild spaces of the galaxy. Like planetary explorers searching for passes through deadly mountain ranges, hyperspace prospecting was just as dangerous. Many who tried it ended up lost forever. Uh, I hope that's the opposite to Thrawn and Ezra, who is just cruising in hyperspace lanes unnavigated. We'll see if they come back. Uh, they sold these routes to traders, governments, and entrepreneurs, and in some cases, set up hyperspace toll lanes where navigational data could be downloaded for a fee. We are all the Republic, is mentioned again. They exchanged a quick glance, information passed between the Santecas, some unseen form of communication. Start uh, I'm sure you both know this, but the nature of hyperspace means that there is never any reason to, uh, bend over at all. It's empty. Okay, there's, there's no reason to move a ship. There's nothing to it. Routes are precisely calculated to ensure collisions, like the Legacy Run, are impossible. And as far as understanding people, Elzar was an expert. Uh, they think they're lying. What most should I call the mind touch, he called the mind trick. So we got our, you know, connection to our trilogy that we know. Because each lane is, as far as we can tell, its own distinct plane of existence. So every time you go into hyperspace, you don't exist in the world until you re-emerge into subspace. Which is pretty crazy. A jump to light speed had become such a routine event, but each time it happened was a step away from everything familiar. A journey into a new universe, some new realm. Toward the end of the chapter, she can't still be alive. Ooh. She'd be beyond ancient. Who? The sun sparkled uh, off wavelets on the lake, and both men thought about the history of their clan and where their great wealth had truly come from, and the great tragedy at its heart. The Santecas—they are hiding a secret, friends. Chapter twenty-four. Hyperspace aboard the Gaze Electric. Martian Rowe, Mary Santeca. And Dr. Uttersund, what? Marcion Roe is a fraud living off the frailty of an old woman, Mary Senteke, who has an ability to see different hyperspace paths. Roe has a vision in what he needs to do and puts his plan in action. The Gaze Electric followed routes that could not be seen and could not be repeated, It was a path engine of a unique design for a human who had been alive for well over a century, Mary Santeca. Some things were and could not be explained. I like this line. Some things just were and could not be explained. Doesn't have to be explained. This is what she can do. This is what it is. Maybe this is the end, he thought, as she has a seizure. Everything I've done, all those years of planning, it could be over right here today. I feel like this is foreshadowing at this point in the story. Uh... The planet Pisana is mentioned, a little connection to the sequel trilogy. He had a goal in mind, redemption and revenge for his family and many others, Marcian. He had not lived uh, to see it come to fruition, his father, and had passed the task to his son. Then uh, he asks Mary Santeca, can you predict hyperspace occurrences? And she laughs and says, of course you can predict them. And that's how the chapter ends. Holy moly. Chapter 25, place back on Elfrona. So we're going to follow that storyline now. We got Bell, Indira, Ember, Loden, and Engel. We've got the introduction of a new land vehicle, future Lego incoming. Loden, Bell, Indira, and Porter head to the Blights where the Nile attacked. Porter, a retiring Jedi, shows how good of a swordsman he is. Traps are sprung, the vehicle is destroyed, and Steely's, aka horses, are mounted, and the chase is on details. About the vehicle, many of the controls were mechanical in nature so as to be operated in an emergency via uh, into, in, like into an emergency situation where the Jedi could apply the force and like pull a trigger or pull a toggle or push a button rather than through electronics like Android Auto. A smaller vehicle like a scout bike is called a veil. Uh... Not at the Jedi Temple, not from Master Yoda or Zaviel Tep or even old Arkov. I put this in here because, of course, there's a Yoda reference. And then you have these other two Jedi, which are put on the same pedestal as Yoda because they're basically saying Porter Angle is such a good swordsman. Um, like, he's so good that, like, Yoda, Zaviel Tep, and Arkov don't even compare to what's going on. Crazy. Bell cannot imagine what it would be like to face Porter in combat. And then, like, for the first time, May the Force Be With You is mentioned, which I thought was cool. 25 chapters into a book. Heavy in the Force. Chapter 26. Uh, We are on the Republic medical frigate, the Panacea. Another offshoot of a storyline. Characters. Buryaga, the Wookiee. Nib Asik. His uh, his Jedi Knight uh, master, Joss and Pika Ard- Arden, who were the uh, pilots of a long beam who secured the first uh, container full of people. And then you have a young boy, Serge, who is on the legacy run and survived the uh, devastating explosion of the ship well, the ripping part of the ship. Burriaga, we get Buriaga's backstory. Emotions are his special his, like his specialty. He can feel emotions. He finds out that Surge, a young boy, witnessed three lightning strikes before the legacy run tore itself apart. Three lightning strikes? That can only mean one thing. Here are some details. Recently it was focused on uh, burgeoning the unrest as the effects of the ever-growing hyperspace blockade was felt. So Buriaga's been catching up on the news. And basically, people are getting nervous about how these hyperspace lanes are affecting their way of life. Sounds, again, very familiar. There have been 21 emergences, and one of those last had caused the destruction of an orbital shipping facility over Dantooine. Dantooine? Uh, That was coordinating a massive aid shipment to the increasingly beleaguered systems of the Outer Rim Territories. Hello, Charles Soul. Let's get to the point, buddy. Uh, More or less, people are suffering. And an emergence hit a shipping station and blew it up. And that was full of aid, which is just not good. They're just painting a very dramatic picture. You didn't thank a Jedi for being a Jedi. I like that line. Uh, Buriaga's lightsaber was fashioned from the amber of a white Rocher tree from Kashyyyk. That's a pretty cool detail. We are all the Republic, as mentioned. And he got a glimpse of whatever it was they ran into out there that caused the ship to disintegrate. Chapter 27. Back to Elfrona. We have Erica, B, Ron, the Nile, and Otto. Okay, so these are the Blithes. The Nile have the Blythes. They are being captured to be ransomed off. But the Jedi are gaining on them, and at the end of the chapter, a beautiful line, which we will uh, get to in the details. They stopped. Their Dora alloy hooves walked into the ground, or locked into the ground with the, ready, organomagnetic field that allowed them to climb even the steepest of mountains. So these steelies, like, basically activated these magnets on the metallic surface of Elfrona and locked them into place. And all these Nile, like, flew forward and the Blice were trying to escape. Um, Erica says that hope was a choice, even if it was hopeless. Three lines of light blossoms from the riders coming up fast behind them. One gold... One blue, one green, and Erica realized what was happening. Who these people were by the light she breathed. They're Jedi. Chapter 28. Back to hyperspace. On a ship called the New Elite. This is Kassab's ship. We, uh, we are introduced to Graven. Delix, Wetbub, who is a Gungan, who I love, great, he's awesome, and Governor Veen of the planet, Iridu, Iridu, does that sound familiar, should it sound familiar, that is a planet from Rogue One, summary, they do some Smash Bulb, which like, kind of, is like a, uh, sensory a heightening drug? I sort of saw it as like a pocket of force. You get Kassav's backstory. Kassav and Martian Rowe somehow know how to predict the emergent, the emergences. Um so they know how to predict the emergences. So uh uh Kassav travels to Iridu to try to extort them. Right? And saying, hey, there's an emergence headed your way. If you pay up, I'll shoot it down. So one emergence comes out of hyperspace, they shoot it. The second emergence comes out of hyperspace, and it hits like something, and like, all these ships are dead. Third one comes out of hyperspace, and they're like, you better pay us now, and boom, 50 million credits comes across, right? But Kassav and his crew fail to stop it. They miss. And 1.2 billion people die. Governor Veen, not a happy camper. She put the ship's, ship signal, call name, and his name, Kassav, out to the galaxy. And although he got paid up and was thinking about leaving the Nile, he retreats back to the Nile. Here are some details. So they had some music that was big, booming, wreck punk, which just reminds me of cyberpunk, and I thought that was fun. Before that, this is some Nile history. Before that, the group was much smaller, barely, uh, barely a gang, really. He had copied a lot of uh, Asgar Rose ideas for his own Tempest. On the surface, the Nile were all about freedom, about breaking away from the galaxy's systems of control. Forget the Republic. Forget the huts. Forget anything but doing what you wanted, when you wanted. That was the sales pitch. How they got people to join up. Ride the storm, baby. Ride that storm. It was an opportunity so good, this iridue plan, that he had forgotten to mention to Marchione or the other Tempest Runners that he was intending to take advantage of it. So anytime the Tempest Runners went out on a job, it was split four ways three Tempest Runners, and the I, which is Martian. but however, our good friend Kazav is trying to pull a fast one on everybody by getting 50 million credits, uh, and it sort of backfired on him. So the thing that comes out of the third emergence that comes out of uh, hyperspace into e-reduced space looked like a compartment intact. He heard that some of these things had people on board, settlers who had been aboard the ship before it disintegrated, Oh, well, not his problem. Iridu had one primary export called Lamite, a mineral used in creating transparasteel, the alloy that forms the main components for starship viewports and screens. He wasn't even sure he'd go back to the Nile at all after this, not with 50 million credits in his account and an entire Tempest loyal to him. But his stomach fell a little when the governor revealed that she put him on blast. The Legacy Run fragments smashed into the moon, but the people of Iradu are hunters, and you will pay for this. Kassab is not in a good place. Chapter 29, back on Hetzel, the Rooted Moon. We've got Kevin Tarr, Senator Noor, uh, Jenny Wataro, Secretary Laura Lilia, Minister Eka of Hetzel, Avar Elzar, Chief Inimin, and peoples make an appearance. Kevin creates an amazing droid array to predict the next emergences, but it's running so hot that droids are blowing up and they're losing calculations. So Jedi Elzar and Avar Chris create enough force to create a rain cloud. And it's a pretty cool uh, use of the force. The droids cool and hyperspace is officially sliced. Here's how the detail works. There are 57,817 droids in this network uh, of uh, navigational droids. The Santecas had sent a dozen of their people who wore strange implants that wrapped around their shaved heads, allowing them to run calculations with droid-like precision that also retained the conceptual leaps organic minds could achieve. So they were basically a bunch of lobots, which I thought was a cool connection. The system had three primary nodes, each with its own subnodes. All three main elements were assigned a different part of the overall calculations. This story has a symbolism of three. The Tempest Runners are three. These droid navigations are three. Kassav's own Tempest is marked off of three. You know, there just seems to be a lot of things with the number three here. Uh, Let's see. The system, uh, let me see. The, The... That's what everything was really, systems and rules. Uh, If you said you would try to do something, people heard that as you would do something, and if you don't achieve the goal, then they thought you had failed and blamed you for trying at all. It wasn't exactly fair, especially because predicting the future with a massive computer array made from wired up droid brains was basically impossible. But that was how the system called society worked. Uh, and Kevin would never be powerful enough to change that set of rules. So basically, Kevin is doing something that no one else has done. And if he succeeds, it will be awesome. But if he fails, it will also be awesome because he tried and got and gathered all this data. But people will look at it as an overall failure because society is mean. Uh, little side story. Senator Nor. little future produ- uh, prediction, might take down Chancellor So in the future. We'll see that. The many processors running together at full capacity was basically one enormous oven. To Elzar, what the Jedi were, were nowhere near as interesting as what they could be. Their connection made many things better, but if he was being honest with himself, it also made some things worse. The sun was still bright off the plateau and the light shone through the rain, causing a glinting spectrum to surround them both. So as Elzar and Avar are sort of communicating in the force, they're calling upon, uh, they're kind of sending up pressure up into the sky. They make the rain cloud. It starts raining. It cools down the Navidroids. There's a beautiful imagery. And I put this imagery into uh, the podcast here because I can't wait to see the movie. Chapter 30 place Al'Frona. Back on Al'Frona. Characters Bell, Loden, Porter, Ember, and the Nile. Summary. Here's what I put. Wow. Force powers galore in this chapter from stopping blasters to laser cannons using kyber crystals. And I just put give this a read again. That's how crazy this chapter was. So here are the details. So, uh, right off the bat, it says chasing the bastards, and I love when Jedi use cuss words. Uh, Porter thinks, why be stoic? Uh, The values didn't mean they were dead. Uh, Porter does a somersault in midair, using his lightsaber to knock back a few more shots. Remember, this guy's 300 years old. Thank you for showing me exactly what you are. Makes things much simpler for me. Straight up, and you saw the man who had shot at him. Porter threw his lightsaber and it sliced out a spinning disc inescapable. The blade sliced through rock and then sliced through the man and Porter regretted that a living thinking being, a child of the force, had made choices that brought him to such an end. Porter angle everybody. Porter reached out with both the force and his hand, palm out, ...and deflected the bolt back via Vader style, sending it careening back off toward the hills, which was not strictly necessary. You could have pushed it away with his mind or frozen it in place, a la Kylo Ren, but it sent a message. And then he was helped out with uh, by Ember. The hound opens her uh, mouth... And a huge gout of yellow flame spits out, enveloping the Nile before he could bring his blaster to bear, melting him, which is fun. Uh, Loden, the you know, the remember the all-terrain vehicle was uh, destroyed at the Blight's household. Loden grabs this apparatus from it. He then inserts his lightsaber key into it and fires a bolt of golden light shot from the end of the tube like a lightsaber blade but somehow denser more there one of the niles two ships had been sliced in half the middle section of the vessel just gone so it's use uh, this weapon is utilizing the kyber crystal to just wreak havoc and i love it uh they throw erica out of the the moving vehicle And I like this line because it says, Erica, I can help you with your injury using the Force. I can stabilize you long enough to get you back to our outpost, which is an introduction to Force healing. Uh, Baby Grogu, Rey, uh, uh, Ben Solo can all do the Force healing. And it's all very wonderful. And that ends Chapter 30. Chapter 31. Back to deep space. On the Republic long beam called the Aurora 3, you have... Pika, Joss, Tiami, Mikkel, Belial, Lorna D, and Adaman. So, this is a combo chapter of Republic people and Nile people. Here's the summary It's time to retrieve the flight recorder. Tiami and Mikkel, who are Jedi, Joss and Pika, who are the pilots, are searching for it. Lorna D and Belial are part of the Nile. I rhymed. Their goal is to destroy the flight recorder in the ruckus jedi tiami dies Mikkel is shook by this but the flight recorder is safe in republic hands and lorna d escapes here are the details of this chapter the 39th emergence was set to happen soon enough in any case they had identified three spots uh that would uh, they would most likely emerge uh, they set up a team to intercept them, one after the other. Uh, this is a little context. She heard, uh, she'd heard she heard rumors of food riots in the sinkhole cities of Udapal Udapal mentioned in the uh, prequel trilogy and Clone Wars, etc. The cruiser was outfitted, this is the Lorna D cruiser. The cruiser was outfitted with all sorts of devices and shielding that made it all but impossible to pick up on a scan. If the Republic investigators found the flight recorder, they could probably use it to get definitive proof that the Nile were connected to everything. Oh boy. The 39th Emergence was a bust, but the 40th Emergence has the flight recorder. It seems clear that the Republic and the Jedi will be working to hunt down this Kasav person. And the missile changed course, pulled in by the attracting force of the clamps, so Uh, During the whole fray, you know, Lorna D is sending out missiles trying to fire at the flight recorder. They're basically missiles coming out of an invisible ship, so they have no idea where it's coming from until they fire again, and then they get the ship signature, and then the Jedi are going after them, but they fire missiles at the flight recorder, so the one Jedi, Tiami, goes after it. She's trying to get the missile to stop. In the meantime, another missile is tracking her. She was able to Destroy the missile in front of her but ends up getting hit by the missile behind her and Tiami dies Not not a great thing Lorna D escapes, but the Republic has the flight recorder chapter 32 We are now above Elfrona Characters Dent and Zuvler Tom Zuvler Tom of the Nile Dent of the Nile is a cloud the idea was to ransom the Blights to the rich family of Alderaan. Oh, baby, do we have a great connection? She calls for help because the Jedi are after them, and Zuvler Tom's like, "We might come, we might not. Otherwise, good luck." To buy some time, she ends up tossing B, the daughter, out of the airlock to delay, to distract the Jedi i have no details to report on in this particular chapter because there was really nothing else to say uh, chapter 33 outer rim the third horizon uh, we have a little bit of a video conference a little zoom conference with lena so the santecas avar elzar and Kranara. here's the summary the nile are revealed after looking at the flight recorder Chancellor So gives the order to eliminate them before lanes are to open, so now the there is a new objective. We have to take care of the Nile. Here are some details. We know that the Nile are represented by three bright, jagged stripes across its hull. The Nile ship that hit the Legacy Run, so the Legacy Run was moving on the X-axis, and the Nile ship was moving across the Y-axis of a hyperspace, so two hyperspace lanes crossed... The Legacy Run tried to avoid it, and ended up ripping itself apart. Uh... Somehow, Evar Chris had become the leader of the Task Force. The Nile were opportunists, not planners. This all seems like a horrible accident. This suggests the Nile have an understanding of hyperspace that is, at best, unique, and at worst, hugely dangerous. That should be investigated and quickly. Gather a fleet from the treaty worlds and hunt down the Nile. Evar found herself glad that half a galaxy separated her from this woman. So Chancellor So is kind of intimidating, and I think that's great. Let's go one more. Chapter 34, No Space, The Great Hall of the Nile. We have a turn in the story. We have Martian Kassav, Lornady, and Paneta. Now remember, Kassav messed up in Iridu. Not a great thing. Lorna D. messed up, couldn't get the flight recorder. Paneta didn't really have a mission, he was just hanging out. Marciana Rose shows some absolute dominant characteristics, punching Kassab in the face and explaining how he could save the Nile. And after that little symbolic uh, happenstance, all are now on board on Marciana Rose's plan. Details This is the moment. Change can be challenging, my friends. We can lie low for a bit, reorganize, even move to the mid-rim. This was unusual of Tempest Runners asking the eye for orders. Usually, Tempest Runners like said, this is what I want to do. This was not the way it was done. The dynamic had shifted. They could all feel it. Chapter 35, the Elfrona system. This is a good storyline. Bell. B and Loden. Balin, who is also known as B, is the girl that is thrown out, and Bell is tasked to save her. He now needs to put his training in action. They are falling from a very high altitude, they are coming down fast. Wonderful imagery in this chapter. And Bell pulls it off. They fall and they land as light as a feather. Here are some details. Bell pointed to the Jedi insignia on his chest to tell B to calm down. We got this together. Being a Jedi was not about saving oneself. It was about saving others. And when Bell realized this, this is when he allowed the Force to take over. And gently put him down nicely. Chapter 36. Not really a chapter, but an interlude. Place. Place. The Jedi Council on Ataraxia. Here are the many Jedi, and here we go with the names. Jora Mali, Yariel Poof, Rana Kent, Opa Rancissus, Keaton Mirag, Adali Caro, and a mention of Wreath Silas, which I will get to in a minute. Summary. So the Jedi are debating whether or not they should be involved in the hunt for the Nile. And in caps, I wrote, Great Sith War mentioned there have been times in our history that the Order has been reduced to but a handful of members. What? That's a big line. Because, like, we know in the original trilogy that the fall of the Jedi reduced the Order To but a handful of members so it's not the first time that that happened so that's a pretty interesting nugget but it is decided that the jedi will get involved with the hunt for the nile here are our final details there are 11 council members there is a little interlude about into the dark which is a cool detail we got the trandoshan jedi skier uh a little bit interesting about Trandoshans: uh, the planet's culture was built around predation and supremacy ideals that did not always mesh well with the precepts of the Order. All things were possible, though, in the Force. Whatever choice any Jedi made was there uh, was there for the will of the Force. Was there for the will of the Force. Studying focus allowed the Jedi to become better instruments of that will. Certainly, in much of the way that a well-maintained lightsaber functions better than one that had fallen to disrepair, but getting caught up in an endless debate about what the Force might want was paralyzing. Jorah Malley hates the debate, just wants to perform actionable steps to solve the problem. It was a waste of time, but we have been a military force in the past. Our predecessors waged and won the Great Sith War, and there is endless precedent in the Chronicles for this sort of thing, so they are relating old history and why they should be involved. Yoda was on his sabbatical from the council business, another Yoda mentioned. Peace without justice is flawed. Uh, It's hollow at its core. It is the peace provided by tyranny. And Jorah Mali gets the tie-breaking vote and says, does the action I'm about to take bring more light to the galaxy? And if eliminating the Nile will bring more light to the galaxy, then she is all in. Because whatever the Force wills, will happen. Friends, that concludes part two of Light of the Jedi. I must say, in the last 42 minutes of summary of the Light of the Jedi, first off, I've enjoyed bringing the story to you. Two, this takes me a hell of a long time to get this all down on book and paper uh, but i'm enjoying it i like the fact that i'm able to uh, basically condense the story down into an easy chunk of information but that's it for me as always please like follow subscribe i know the episodes aren't coming as frequently as they used to but i'm really trying to focus in on the books right now as as the main A focal point of the podcast at this time. When our Disney Plus shows come back, we will certainly bring back the We Have Spoken crew. But I appreciate your time. I appreciate your patience in listening into the story. Part three coming soon in the next few weeks. Just subscribe to the podcast to make sure you know when that's coming. Make sure you follow me on all the socials Extra Techie, all over the place. Big shout out to youtube.com backslash Extra Techie as we did this live. Thank you for joining me for our Star Wars trivia night. It's been a blast. It's been fun. And as they say in a galaxy far, far away, shout out to the Red 5 Network and may the Force be with you. And in addition, we are all the Republic. Another Star Wars podcast created by Sean of Extra Techie found on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts can be streamed from www.extratechie.com. Follow Sean and Extra Techie on all the socials. Search out Extra Techie and you will surely find him. Catch all the exciting Star Wars action in a podcast form, but don't forget, Extra Techie also streams content like games and Lego builds and is also a tech specialist. Reach out if you ever need help. Music provided by Incompetech. Please leave a rating and review. Copyrighted 2021. Cheers, and may the force be with you.